Northwestern has lost a lot of players to transfer the last few years, five players total, um, including three actual grad transfers this year, Barrett Benson, Aaron Falzone, and Jordan Ash. Neither was a particularly key player, but um, it would have been good for depth since Northwestern only actually was returning nine scholarship players, many of them freshmen and sophomores, um, especially after losing Derek Pardon and Vic Law. But they have added a surprising grad transfer, Someone compared him to LeBron James. Um, unfortunately, they call him LeBron James of his sport, and his sport is lacrosse. <laughs> um, that was a quote from Pat Myers, the Lafayette lacrosse coach, about um, star Loyola Mar- Maryland uh, lacrosse player Pat Spencer in Teddy Greenstein's Chicago Tribune column. Uh, so Pat Spencer is transferring from Loyola where he is considered the best lacrosse player in the country to Northwestern. Um, so I guess, first off, what do you think of that? And second of off, uh, what other players from other sports would you want to see play college basketball? Well, great questions. Uh, first of all, he was apparently drafted by two lacrosse leagues. I think, I didn't know there were two lacrosse leagues, but anyway. I mean, I know there's one professional lacrosse league. Uh, to, everyone's been talking about how the skills transfer over. I'm not positive they do, but we'll see. He's probably a good basketball player and probably a good athlete, but I don't know, I don't know how much he's going to draw on lacrosse uh, when he comes on the basketball court. Now, other players and other sports I'd like to see. I'd like to see offensive linemen play basketball, I think, in football. I think it would be good. I think they're really good athletes. I think it would be crazy. If you just had an all-offensive lineman five-on-five game, I think it would be actually much better than you think it would be. That's my crossover. Okay, okay. What skills transfer from lacrosse to basketball? Um, I guess, like, maybe some of the movements, the way that you kind of move on the court are similar a little bit. Um, Spacing? I, yeah, I mean, like, the actual skills of sh- of shooting and is not similar at all. Um, you literally try to carry the ball on lacrosse. You can't do that in basketball. I would say inbounds passes. Definitely, because you can stand behind the goal right in lacrosse and throw the ball in the front of the net, and then you can score from the front. So I feel like this guy is going to be the best inbounder of all time, <laughs> Spencer. He better be. My favorite lacrosse rule is how if you shoot it past the net and it goes out um, past the end of the field, it goes to the person closest, to the team of the person closest to where the ball goes out. And so you see when the shot gets taken and it goes wide, Everyone is like running and like diving to like have their stick be closest to where the ball goes out of bounds. It's not who touched it last. It's like who's closest. So I think that would be cool. Maybe if we had that rule in basketball for a while, it's like maybe for one game he played in where if he's close, whoever's closest to the ball when it goes out of bounds, that's who gets the ball. Do you think back. he's going to just start running when the ball runs out of bounds? If he threw it out of bounds, do you think he's going to run to the sideline just to be closest to the sideline? You think that could happen? That Spencer would do that? I would. Um, I yeah, we'll see. He has played. Gonna, he I, has played high school basketball. Like he's familiar with the yeah. sport. It's not like he's just like picking up a basketball for the first time. So mm-hmm. he's been described in open gyms as a tough, explosive athlete with winning DNA. So yeah. So what? Uh, so winning DNA. That means you know, like his parents had some combination of winning DNA they passed along to him. Yeah, maybe, or maybe just the DNA combined, and they were both losers, and they combined into. I don't know how the double helix of winning DNA works. So. Let's ask uh, Mendel, right? No, that's, Watson that's and Crick, our... and that woman whose name escapes me was very, uh, mm. very involved. In How that. appropriate! You forgot. Well, the at least I know name. there's a woman oh. involved. <laughs> at least I know there's a woman involved. Let's 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 end. Rosalind Franklin. There. there you go. There you go.
the rest of the way. Double two bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to episode 29 of the Double Bonus Podcast, along with Brenda DeRocher. I'm Tom Borstein. Uh, we are recording during the United States Women's National Soccer Team game, uh, just in case uh, we we're aware of that. So we want to make that clear in case we have... Don't, don't tell us what happened. Don't tell us what happened. Yeah, please. Yeah. So we got we got the unsung heroes of Watson and Crick, or unsung hero of Watson and Crick out of the way, and now we're going to talk about college basketball. Uh, Brenda Rocher is with me. Uh, it's a very humid day in New York, and we're going to talk about college basketball and a touch on the NBA draft. These are where these players just leave our jurisdiction, never to be spoken of again, except of their college careers. So like they'll be on the historical recollections of this podcast, but... We will not be able to talk about DeAndre Hunter, the college player, after Thursday. Uh, Brendan, first of all, how are you doing? Tom, um, I have to admit, nothing's fine. I'm torn. I'm all out of faith. <laughs> this is how I feel. I'm cold and I'm ashamed, uh, even though it's human. But you're not bound and broken on the floor. <laughs> I, I can see you. But I, but I am. I have, of kind of occasion, been lying naked on the floor. <laughs> okay. Um, I... I you, I was a little late to the podcast because I didn't have Skype, um, but maybe you're already torn. Yeah. Okay. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Just saw my grandmother yesterday and my brother. Whole family uh, went to New Jersey. And yeah, I'm missing college basketball. And now basketball's all over until, I guess, summer league and then uh, for the NBA and then, yeah, NBA back in October. Big win for the Raptors. Yeah, I watched uh, the only game that i watched was game seven or six i guess <laughs> the only, yeah hmm. okay i mean Brennan, your I, fingers I, I, on I, the pulse of the sports world right now I, I like basketball yeah uh yeah i saw one of the great replays of all time after the championship basically been decided they had a replay which is like classic basketball yeah that's like 2019 basketball to it it actually wasn't decided um, by the way it was like very weird no one knew what they were reviewing or what was going on but if Leonard had missed one of the free throws. It's true. Curry could have hit a three, and he had hit the rim twice in that game on buzzer beater attempts. He had .9 seconds, so he could get a dribble and shoot from three-quarters court. That's probably, what, like a 3% chance of going in? But they had to have missed the first one in that case. Otherwise, they would have um, uh, Otherwise, they would have had to just rebound and shoot. Oh, and yeah. They, we, they would miss the second one on purpose, then, probably. Maybe. Yes. Shades of Del Curry's uh, son is pretty good. Yeah, shades of um, twenty. I don't know if you've watched him before. I have. He's but. pretty good. I actually, uh, I saw him his breakup party. That can you name the three teams Davidson beat in the 2008 NCAA tournament? Yes, uh, they beat. Maybe not. We'll see. They, uh, <laughs> they beat Gonzaga. Uh, did they in, in the first round? I thought no. Uh, I don't think they beat Gonzaga. Okay. Uh, but I'll tell you, beat, I'm looking it up right now. I know the second round game was the big one. They did beat Gonzaga. Beat you were correct. You were correct. You were correct. Sorry. Okay. They beat Gonzaga and they beat Georgetown. Correct. And they beat Wisconsin. Yes. And they lost to Kansas. Good job, Brenda. Kansas had beaten Villanova in the Sweet 16 that year. Right. Um, and then Kansas won the national title. Yeah. And that was when Steph Curry missed a shot. The buzzer hit the backboard in Detroit. That would have won the game. It was a two point lead for Kansas. And Kansas went on to uh, bigger and better things. Speaking of threes, you want to talk about the biggest rule changes in college basketball that came out? They were made official this week. We knew they were probably going to happen, but now we know they're official. The first thing is um, I, I'm happy with the rule changes that didn't happen because 
our podcast is called Double Bonus, and there were rumors they were going to go with a different way of doing foul shots, yeah. and they were going to get rid of the one on one and one. And if they get rid of the one and one, then by like just by logic, there's no more double just bonus. The bonus. So I'm happy. Yeah, that, we, we, yeah. What would we do? Would we change the name of our podcast to the bonus? <laughs> no, I think I think we'd we'd be like old school. Yeah. It'd be like uh, be a nice throwback. It would be like we calling our podcast the Four Corners Offense Podcast yeah. or something. Well, there's a Twitter handle for hockey called Two Line Pass, which of course is no longer a rule in the NHL. And so, um, yeah, similar similar take. Um, yeah, that's nice that the, I like the I really do like the one on one in all seriousness. It's a great element of strategy. It allows smarter coaches to extend the game by fouling. I think it's just a really good wrinkle for college. It's unique to the sport, and it um. Yeah, it puts pressure on free throw shooters and makes it a lot more dramatic. And it makes adjusting to the NBA tough because, A, NBA shooters are better when you watch it, I'm saying. And, B, there's no one-on-one. So you're like, oh, of course you should foul here, but most NBA teams don't foul. But in college, you really should foul on the one-on-one pretty much every time, especially if the shooter, if there's, like, any bad shooters on the court. So I'm glad they kept the one-on-one. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I feel like in 10 or 15 years, there'll be no more one-on-one like, the, yeah. way the, yeah, the way that it's going. Yeah. So, yeah, they, brought, they moved the three-point line back. From uh, 22 feet, uh, sorry, from 20 foot feet nine inches to 22 one and three quarters, which is what? That's the international distance. That is distance, the international Tom. distance, yes. Um, if you go to the very easy to log into kenpom.com <laughs> website um, and check out the uh, D1 stats trends, um, it basically shows three point percentage and three point attempt rate, uh, like the percentage of all field goal attempts that are three pointers since the institution of the three pointer in 1987. Um, the very first year of the three-pointer, only 15.7, so about one of every six shots were three-pointers. Um, and last year, 38.7%, which is obviously almost about two and five, a little bit less than that, were three-pointers. Uh, and that was the highest number ever. Um, they had previously gone, uh, moved the three-point line back for the 2008-2009 season. And um, prior to that year, the free-throw rate had been 34.5%. And... It, it dropped to 33.1 and then to 32.6, and it didn't get back to the previous rate of 34.5 until 2016, and it's since like kind of spiked up. So you would think it might take six or seven years, and that was only a foot. This is more than a foot. It might take six or seven years to get back to this level if we see the same trend, but of course in that period, we've seen a, a major spike in three-pointers in the NBA as well. Um, so... I, I guess start with maybe what you think the effect will be and then what you think about like the three-point proclivity in college basketball. I don't think it, I don't, to answer the second part first, I don't think it's going anywhere. This may slow the growth of it a little bit because teams are going to have fewer shooters capable of hitting the three, but at the same time, it's going to keep spiking because it just makes mathematical sense. Uh, the committee in putting out this rule change, supplied, uh, the rules committee, that is, the men's basketball rules committee, said it made the lane will make the ma- lane more available for dribble, dribble drive plays from the perimeter, which is true. It will slow the trend of the three-point shot becoming too prevalent in men's college basketball, but making the shot, quote, a bit more challenging. This is all quote, actually, but I want to emphasize that. While at the same time keeping the shot an integral part of the game, assisting in offensive spacing by requiring the defense to cover more of the court. So, I mean, it's going to make the game a little bit more spread out um probably would have helped duke last year if this <laughs> rule were in place because threes were been quite as big a point of emphasis but i think that it'll be fine and i think that the teams will adjust and eventually won't notice any difference and it'll just kind of like renormalize i do think the biggest takeaway from this for me will be how ugly so many courts are that have both men's and women's basketball 
on there because there'll be two three-point lines. It's going to be very unsettling, like a foot apart. It's going to be a, not a, not a fan. So, so the women's three-point line for college basketball is the same as what the current yes, men's three-point or line it's is? it's the same as what the men's was, I believe, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, that was like, it would be like an 80s thing or 90s thing when there were always like multiple lines on the court. Yeah, um, yeah I. so I, I think that aesthetically this will improve college basketball. I think aesthetically it's been actually improving over the last few years anyway by creating more space for drives. Um I personally am not really a big fan of how many three-point shots there are in the NBA or college basketball. And so I, I don't know what – if I think it's going to take a change in how people think about defense and risk um, and risk-reward cost-benefit analyses at, in, on defense before we see the three-point uh, rate decline or, or even out. And so I think this, this obviously is going it, to – it'll do some of that. Um, I watched the uh, Arkansas Providence game in the NIT that had a longer three-point line, and I think Providence went like one for eighteen, and and Arkansas went like ten for eighteen or something like that. So um, we'll see how it goes for the Friars next year. Not they've never really been known for the three-point shooting. Although actually, in the very first year of the of the uh, three-point line in college basketball, eighty six, eighty seven, Providence behind Billy Donovan rode the three-pointer. Many say into the Final Four, um, and Rick Pitino was one of the early. Um, people who you who leveraged the three-point line um at kentucky after he was at providence as well um so i would be it's just a it's a weird thing to me just having these people just gun threes all the time like we saw in this tournament like half like villanova purdue um there's a lot of teams just like yeah so it's teams. really ugly when they miss like teams are going to keep trying and they keep trying and then villanova's done this and other teams done this you just keep, they they make them it's amazing it's almost like oh my god but if they don't make them, it's really ugly. It's like a, it's a clank fest, and it's a problem uh, when you watch a game sometimes. And there's like the mid-range jumper is totally dead. Like no one takes a mid-range jumper anymore. It's like what is the, what is that shot? Um, when you see it, it looks yeah. weird. And it's it's yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping that defenses get more savvy and basically, in theory, if it was efficient, over time defenses would pop would would move in a direction where all the shots on the floor pretty much reasonable shots at least would have about the same point expectancy so they would be guarding the threes in a way that would make them worth say a point per shot and the same way for a mid-range jumper the same way for a layup um but at least in the half court obviously in fast breaks is a little bit different but i think we still see teams very much emphasizing um still guarding the mid-range jumper more than they maybe even should like I think it, I would be fine with him spreading around and basically you should be defending the three a lot harder and basically forcing teams to take wide open mid range jumpers instead of contested threes. Yeah, I think it's we'll see how the defenses adjust. It's I feel like they've been really late to the party uh, in the NBA and in college basketball and kind of a lot of teams just don't run teams off the three point line that much and it's tricky to do because then you can get burned by backcourt uh backdoor cuts we saw it happen in the nba finals the raptors really want to pressure the warrior shooters and they overplayed oh, you saw it happen in the nba finals. oh yes right we yeah yes you did not watch that game um but it happens like even in the nba they try to cut down the threes and the variance and the variance in the, th- in the nba is also very high on the three-point shot uh, and the same thing in college basketball and i think people make a lot of snap judgments about teams based on how they're playing based on you know, streaky nights at the three-point line. So maybe this will cut that down. It'll make it easier to evaluate teams a little bit as well. 
Um, but again, I think it's just going to be, unless something changes with the defenses, we're just going to see a larger. It's just going to slow this down. We'll, in three or four years, we'll be at the same shot rate, I would think. Not six or seven is the last time it happened. That sounds right. Uh, next one. Actually, I'm going to go out of order from our little document here. We're going to go to the reset the shot clock to 20 seconds on an offensive rebound. So previously, you get an offensive rebound in the front court. It goes back to a full 30. Um, now it goes down to 20. Uh, this is especially important in end-of-game situations where a team gets an offensive rebound. It's just so disheartening. Um, I think it's good because you don't really need a full 30 seconds in the half-court set. The NBA did something similar. It went from 24, a full reset to 24, back to 14, which is a really short amount of time when you think about it. So 20 seconds in college, which is two-thirds of the shot clock. I think this will be a good change. Um, I'm totally fine with this. Um, yeah, I'm fine. I think that my, my biggest concern with this is how it might lead to more stoppages because the shot clock is improperly reset and we have to like stop and then like have the clock operator go and reset it properly. So I think in so much as this might slow the game down by forcing by mistakes happening, I uh I'm a little bit worried about that. But if it were executed perfectly by the clock operators, you're okay with it in principle. Yeah. I I, I would I'm I think it's to me it's not very important, but I think I guess it's a slight improvement. Um, it makes it it makes giving up a defensive an, an offensive rebound less injurious than at, if you're the uh, trailing team um, than it otherwise would have been. Uh, so I think I think it's like a very small improvement to the game if it doesn't lead to a bunch of stoppages. Okay, well you're definitely not gonna like the next one. <laughs> uh, after Kentucky got the short end of the stick on a offensive goaltending against LSU last season, there's a lot of uproar because you can't review. Offensive goaltending, even in the last two minutes, the NCAA has now said, go ahead, you can review offensive goaltending in the last two minutes, so we will see some more stoppages of play to review offensive goaltending. This also played a role in the NBA Finals, Brandon. It's amazing how many of these things happen in the NBA Finals that you don't watch. Um, but this... When's Game 7? Is that it tonight? It would have been tonight, yeah. Oh, they're not playing? Correct, yeah. They're not going to play the dead yeah, rubber? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is in Davis Cup. Um... Yeah, so back to reality. Uh, basket interference. First of all, I hate offensive goaltending as a rule. And the last thing. Yeah, I think you uh, you have been you're on the record as calling it the stupidest rule in all of sports or the well, worst. Well, rule let's in all get sports. to this first. If the if the ball is already on the rim and it's going to go down and into the basket, who are the referees to say an offensive team can't touch it? I realize the defensive team cannot touch it on the rim. And like, well, it's not fair to the defensive team to let them do something the offensive team can't. There's plenty of things that the offensive team can do that the defensive team can't. There's rules about contact. There's rules about rebounding. There's rules about a ton of stuff. You know, they have different places on the free throw line. The defensive team gets to stand closer to the basket when you shoot free throws. We don't have one on the on one side of the lane. You have a defensive player, and on the other side of the lane, you have an offensive player in the same spot. So why can't we have two sets of rules for offense and defense? So. Obviously, if I am against the offensive goaltending rule, I'm certainly going to be against reviewing offensive goaltending. So this is going to be a nightmare because there's another thing we can review at the end of games, and it's very ambiguous. And a lot of people probably don't even know the rule, which I believe, I'm not even 100% positive, is if any part of the ball is over the rim, you can't, cannot be touched. Please, is that right? Is that the right rule? Yes, you, you imagine an invisible cylinder extending from the rim to eternity. Uh, up to James Naismith. And, <laughs> How do you know uh, he's in heaven? He could if, be in hell. Basketball okay. heaven. Basketball heaven. If a 
if any of the ball is breaking any of that plane, then it cannot be touched. Okay. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on the rule? I know you like reviews, so it should be pretty easy. I hate reviews. Right. I think this is... I, I really dislike the addition of rules for, like, very memorable missed calls in specific situations because it just it creates bloat. And I think uh, it's the scope creep, if you will, of, um, <laughs> of review. And I think there's way too many reviews... I really, really, really think the clock should not be reviewed um, unless there's an egregious error. Like, and I mean, basically, I think the rule should be in the last minute for the clock, for instance. If the clock, if, if you don't think the clock is at least a second off, you can't review it. And if it's not a second off, then, you, then the clock does not change. Because like we have so many things, the ball goes in the hoop with like 44 seconds left and then a four tenths of a second ring off the clock and like, whoa, 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 we got to check yeah. this out. Yeah. Tens of a second. Should, tens I, yeah, of a second yeah, should yeah. be reviewed under ten seconds. That's that would be the first thing to do. And then yeah, yeah. if you, I, I I do see the importance of like 0.7 versus 1.3. Like that is a big difference. But still, if you had if you told me you have to choose please between uh, all these reviews and no reviews, I would take no reviews. And I think that is really I would yeah. Take. And this is like this is an uh, and this is a classic thing. Like one game, one high profile game happened, and now they're gonna put this rule in effect for all games, and it's gonna be really pointless it's in, I, I know you don't watch the nfl brendan but there was a pass interference rule pass interference non-call oh oh i know about this one this was on uh, on fox right uh the game was on fox yes yes uh yes, this, yes. the saints rams and the saints acted like they were like the, they had the nfc championship stolen from them when by the way they won the toss in overtime and got picked off in overtime and then gave up the game winning field goal so let's calm down new orleans about like you're being the most victimized team ever and they put in a rule to review pass interference or to allow challenges for pass interference, which is insane. Like I said, total judgment call. And just overreacting to one game, just it seems silly. Like I don't think it's really a problem in basketball. Um, I like the limited review more than every review. And it's just like we're, we're getting to the point where we can review everything. And we saw even in the championship game how the spirit of the law really uh, was not applied in that review where I forget who the two players were, but it appeared to go off uh, – a Virginia player, but, oh, but he yeah. pushed it off the Texas Tech player's hand as he was swiping at the ball. And that was just like, this is like, what are we even doing here? Davide Moretti. Yeah. Uh, what are we even yeah. doing here? So, Well, I'm, I just feel happy for Georgia Frontier and, and the Rams. That's, that's mainly <laughs> yeah. my And they lost concern. the Super Bowl to the, the Patriots. Your Patriots, Brendan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, uh, your Patriots. Yeah. Uh, last one, which I really don't have any thought on. The coaches can call a live ball timeout in the last two minutes, which they weren't allowed to do beforehand. Uh, I guess it's fine. So I guess I guess I didn't realize that they weren't allowed to do that. Like, yeah, they never they're never allowed to call recently? a live ball timeout apparently, and now they're allowed to do it in the last two minutes. Oh, okay, I get you. The the players could call yeah. it, but yeah, this is like international where there's no live ball timeouts. Period. Like, like I actually like that rule. But no li- live ball cool. timeouts. Yeah, I kind of, it, it's a very dramatic, especially if a team goes on a run. You can't like stop the the pressure. Like I think that's a, that's kind of a cool thing about international basketball. But I also like having different rules for the different levels of basketball too. I think some people really want all the rules to be very standardized, like have quarters everywhere and like whatever it is, or the free three the three point line being about the same and the free throw line uh, um, lane being about the same. But I kind of like different rules at different levels, and I guess this is fine. Whatever. Um, I don't. I mean, basically, they were calling it anyway. You just did yell yeah. at the player to call it, so now the coach. Yeah, calls it'll be it a little better. The t- there'll be a little better execution in the last two minutes of the game, which college basketball could honestly stand. 
Uh, Did they give a good reason for why this uh, changed? Is it just because of confusion? I guess I know they didn't have an explanation on the NCAA.com article that I was reading from. So, um, but yeah, uh, the the NCAA hates it when you call it the NCAA. But oh really? That well, like, that's a shame. Yeah. Well, well, we'll have uh, Miles Brand on our podcast. He can give us a retrospective on. Was he the one who implemented that policy? No, this was Walter Davis before okay. that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Miles Brand, very similar to Georgia Frontieri, dead. <laughs> that was the joke. Uh, next. Up. Uh, oh, that's it. That's all the rule changes. Uh, <laughs> thank God. Uh, notice of allegations. The NCAA is on the record now saying two high-profile teams will get a notice of allegations uh, in July, which is... I thought it was six. No, two will get two. it in July, and then two will get it later on. The su- four will get it later on this summer. Yeah, that's good. You want it in the news cycle as long as yeah, possible. Yeah, if that's what you want in college basketball. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Kansas, who are the teams that are most likely to get this? It's Kansas, uh, Arizona, Louisville is in deep hot water. Um, there's some other. Deep and hot deep, water. Deep hot water, I said. Not deep hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah deep and hot. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what? USC might yeah. be in trouble. Auburn, LSU, yeah. Oklahoma State. Um yeah, I wonder if, um, you know, Maryland is actually implicated in D'Souza, actually. But, um, yeah, I think Louisville may actually not be seriously given notice of allegations. They've gotten rid of the coach and the president, or the AD, rather. Um, and it seems like it's possible that Rapatino actually didn't know what was going on in this case, um, which... I don't know if I, I believe that still, but at least like there's not been a direct tie. But Arizona is like got to be there, um, and I think it, it, Kansas might be in trouble as well. Um, the other and LSU, we'll see. Um, I wonder if there'll be a surprise in there, but um, but L, yeah, like the ones that you've mentioned: LSU, Kansas, USC, Arizona, Oklahoma State, Louisville, and uh, I mean they're guilty pleas the in the Louisville. Um, um, they're guilty pleas in the Louisville case. Like, yeah, that's your, that's your buddy Gasnola. Uh, Jim right? Gatto, I think, was Louisville and Kansas. Oh, Jim yeah. Gatto, Merle Code, straight, and uh, Christian Dawkins. Uh, Merle Code is the coolest name. Of, of yes, that's true. On, on investigation. Yeah, I mean, we'll find out what happens. We'll see if it's going to be a postseason ban or a loss of scholarships. And of course, this apparently there's a 90-day period which Kansas or the schools would have to respond. So it doesn't seem like it would affect this year's NCAA tournament or this year's rosters. Um, so, uh, we'll see, but uh, we'll see what happens. The NCAA, I'm sure, will make this very exciting and uh, fair and transparent and good. So, yeah. Oh, so maybe just, like, just deliver the notice of allegations. Don't go on the record foreshadowing it and then hinting at two and then saying two or saying two and then four more. Why you So was it a, f- how did the, ru- how did the rumor get out? Was it like an official yeah, statement Yeah, it was, uh, or let's see here. The, um, Stan Wilcox. David Warlock. Stan, <laughs> David Warlock. Stan Wilcox. NCAA Vice President for Regulatory Affairs was on the record saying two high-profile programs would receive notices of allegations by early July. The remaining four would be rolled out later in the summer in what was described as a wave of NCAA investigations meant to clean up major college basketball. There's an even there's even another group of cases that we're still working on, Wilcox said. The main thing is we're up and ready. We're moving forward and you'll see consequences. I don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe they've... I mean, there's been a lot of bad press for a long period of time about the NCAA's kind of what's the word, impotence when it comes to uh, finding anything out. Like even like going back to the University of Miami football case, 
uh, where basically all the information the NCAA got was from other investigations that they really have no investig very little investigatory power and when they, even when they do investigate, they rarely find out much more than what's already been found out by some kind of justice uh, investigation, judicial investigation. Um, I think they, I don't know why this takes much pressure off besides having like people like us and like people more important in the industry than us, like just talking about. trying to guess. Yeah. Like, why don't you just wait? If you're going to announce it in July, announce it in July. I mean, the other possibilities they wanted the the announcement in July to not be as big a deal. So they're basically trying to say this now so that it's when it comes out in July, it's doesn't, it's not a spike in like, Oh my goodness, what's going on. And it's just like, everyone's like, Oh, this is what they were talking about. I don't know. Yeah. I I, that. That's the only strategy that makes sense to me. Um, the other, the being like a good PR, be like, Hey, what are you guys going to do? Hey, we're doing something. We're going to do these two things. That doesn't seem very wise, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a PR person. Yeah. Oh, we'll see. And no one in the NCAA is either. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. It's not going to be a good summer for uh, Bill Self. I feel the I fear the worst for the Kansas Jayhawks. That would be that would be pretty amazing if their record and NCAA tournament streak was snapped by a postseason ban. Uh, you've been hinting at that for a while, Brendan. So you'll probably be very happy. I mean, they are the uh, zero-time defending Big Twelve champions. Correct. Um, yeah. Let's move on. The NBA draft is this Thursday. Um, this is again. This That's is true. like where we say goodbye to our jurisdiction. Is that sorry? Really? Is that really true? This yeah, Thursday? Wow. Yeah. Brendan again. Finger on the pulse of everything. <laughs> it's June twentieth. Uh, where is it this year? I don't even know where it is. Is it always in New York? Chicago, New York. Uh, it is. Uh, some, it will be at Barclays. Yeah, it'll be in New York. Oh, kind of. Yeah. New York, so we know Zion. Not New York County. We know Zion's going first. We're not NBA draft gurus. I just wondered if you had any hot takes on the NBA draft as a concept, or like this specific mm. class. Uh, of players because I have one thing that surprised me yeah why don't you start and surprise us or surprise or surprise tell me what surprised you so Darius Garland who basically did not play last year and has hardly ever played in college basketball is going ahead of Kobe White in a lot of mock drafts and I find that kind of weird I know he's I know he should be healthy coming off his injury but Kobe White looked pretty good in North Carolina last year and I just find it weird that Garland basically I think if I remember correctly he was below where he is this year now he's going like five or six and ahead of Kobe White in the in the drafts and they play very like they're both Kobe White's point guard shooting guard Garland's more of a point guard, but doesn't it seem a little odd to you that Garland would have just stayed ahead of Kobe White uh, and mo improved his draft position from one year to the next despite being injured for all of 2019-20 basically? Well, I think part of it in this direct comparison is that Kobe White is um, probably came into this year not likely being a first round pick and he played his way into the lottery. Um, whereas Darius Garland seemed to be a lottery pick and stayed there despite the injury. Um, I do think it's a sign that how weak this draft is. It's really, really not good at all. Um, well, at least on, on the, on paper, the quality of talent is, is low. You have Zion at one, you know, John Morant, I, I guess he's going to be really good, but like, this is not, I don't think he's quite as much of a shoe in as people make him out to be. In the number two pick, R.J. Barrett had a kind of a mediocre year um, with Duke, but I still think he's clearly a top three player. In fact, I, depending on my fit, I might take him over John Morant. Um, and then after that, it's just like, what is going on? You know, Jerry Culver's fine, DeAndre Hunter's fine, and then you have Darius Garland. I'm looking, I'm kind of reading down Sam Bassini's um, mock draft, and then he has Kobe White seven. 
you know, so I guess I think it just says more about the draft and also the players who played very poorly this year, whether it's Cam Reddish, who's still at eight, which I think seems really high for him to considering how bad he was this year, or Nazir Little, who might go in the 20s or high teens. Uh, yeah, it depends um, on where you go. Romeo Langford is another player who really fell off the... Ro- yeah, Romeo Langford. Uh, your boy Quentin Grimes was considered to be a potential lottery pick entering the yep. year. Um, Rui Hachimura actually has seemed to drop a little bit as well. Uh, yeah, let's see. We have Nasir Little's at 13 in, in Sydney's draft. I've seen him actually much lower in another one. Um, Romeo Langford is 16 to uh, Orlando. He's where he has him. Um, yeah, so I think it's a mix of both. Um, on the one hand, um, I, on the one hand, you have. Uh, players who considered to be likely very high picks who didn't actually have good years and dropping, and in weak draft already, and that seems to be to me why Darius Garland is still considered a top ten pick. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's a oh, Bull Bull, another guy that got injured and is like kind of in the twenties. Kevin Porter had a bad year, and he's. I in the believe 20s Dead's been tweeted. Bull Bull is going to get someone fired. We just don't know who yet. Like it'll be the player, the team that passed <laughs> on him, or the team that drafted him. Basically, was their implication. So I can mm-hmm. see that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's all I got. Okay, cool. There you go. Uh, All right. Now it's time for the biggest part of the show, which is... uh, Oh, well, before we get there, I just want to mention, one thing we didn't mention is in our last podcast is that the Hauser brothers, who were kind of a big topic in a previous podcast, they've actually announced where they're going to go. Sam Hauser, who's the older of the two, he's going to be a junior, will be going to Virginia. Um, He's kind of the more kind of dead-eye shooter type. Joey Hauser, his brother, has got a more of a diverse game. He's going to be a, uh, a sophomore. He's going to Michigan State. So they're splitting up, and many thought that that was not going to be the case. They're going to be a package deal. They both will sit out, um, and one is going to Virginia, one's going to Michigan State. And the big loser here, besides Marquette, obviously, is Wisconsin. Right. They're both Wisconsin boys, and many thought many are annoyed with Greg Gard. One, Tyler Harrow, who's a Wisconsin kid, left Wisconsin for Kentucky. He kind of uh, de-verbaled, I guess, from Wisconsin to go to Kentucky, and now we have missing on the Housers once, and now missing on the Housers twice, and so there is a little bit of pressure on Greg Gard in Wisconsin. Uh, that's my only. Oh, and the other thing, Kerry Blackshear, definitely the best transfer still out in the market. One of the best, even if you consider the whole market of transfers. He uh, and uh, and Spencer the lacrosse player, even if you consider him. Oh right, even if you consider Le- LeBron James of of lacrosse. Uh, yeah, Kerry Blackshear, the Virginia Tech uh, power forward. Uh, he's he was visiting Tennessee this weekend. I'm not sure. I guess he's he waited to decide or like do his business because he was working out for the NBA draft. Decided not to go in the NBA draft. Still could go to Kentucky, and I, I do think that if he goes to Kentucky, that that would make Kentucky the preseason favorite ahead of Michigan State personally. Oh uh, yeah, it's interesting these these late um these late season transfers uh, are really uh. Late off-season transfers, basically, because most of the uh, most of them are done. There, there are some interesting ones to follow. Um, and Jalen Wilson, we should uh, mention, is going to go to Kansas because he was—he's not a transfer, but he's a recruit. But he did not like Jawan Howard. Apparently, he liked uh, John Beeline, and he said, "I'm going to go to Kansas." So Kansas gets another kind of late add to their roster, um, and immediately might become their best recruit. <laughs> Amazingly. Yeah. That's sweet, sweet CJ Gasnola cash. Just yeah. Oh does yeah. It every time. It's amazing. Except with DeAndre Ayton. That's didn't work. Yeah. Didn't, yeah. 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 All right. Now, without further ado, uh, Brendan and I have ranked the top 50 programs. If you wiped out 
coaches and players. So they get to keep their arena, their uniform deals, their TV deals. So they get to keep, what about, are we, we don't really factor in potential NCAA discipline to this. Um, so we're going to, right? I, I didn't really. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's one thing I want to talk about, just like yeah. kind of some of the the dichotomy of decision-making. Like basically they keep their history, they keep the, the fan base, the fan interest. Um, basically at this point, every single player and every single team and every single coach is Gone. not in any of those yeah. teams. And so the question is, with only those structures in place, no Coach K um, or no, I don't know, uh, no, like this great class in Memphis, and no Penny Hardaway. Like, how would you actually rank all the teams of, as in like who is the best fit to go forward and to be uh, the best teams in the future? Um, yeah, so that that's the that was the test and the challenge. And for me, one of the the things was there's you know a lot of the football schools, no doubt, have bigger resources like um, SEC schools. Um, you know, you look at some of them, and you're like, well, of course, this school should, on paper, removing the coach and players should be in a better shape than, say, maybe a basketball school in, I don't know, the West Coast Conference or the Big East or something like that. But then there's like, so the commitment, to me, I had to think about, well, well, the commitment of the school to this program and the fact that this is the number one sport, maybe, in a lot of cases, at a school, like, how much is that actually an advantage going forward? And the fact that they've had a lot better, like, if you compare a lot of SEC schools to like a lot of Big East schools, the Big East have a lot better like last 15, 20 years. And so what's going to turn that around in the next 15, 20 years? Do I really think that Auburn will be better than Georgetown in the next 15, 20 years? Like the, it was like, you know, um, what is uh, like, what are the decision making points there? Because in theory, you know, Auburn has made the final four this year uh, and they have like deep pockets and football money. So like, wh- like how would you rank that? So that was the probably the decision for me is like, where did, what do you do with football schools with high resources that don't really have a great history, but in theory are set up to be successful? Yeah. Before we do this, I do want to ask one trivia question because in my mm-hmm. research for this, I did look up to the most uh, Final Four appearances and on the Wikipedia page for that, there there is a team that has made the most NCAA tournament appearances without reaching a Final Four. I want you mm. to try to figure it out. It's 29 appearances. Is it Missouri? It is not. Missouri is 26 without a Final Four. Is it BYU? BYU is correct. And the number two team at 28. You want to try to guess that one? Xavier, Xavier is correct. Good job. Okay. Very impressive, Brendan. Nailed the top three. Western Kentucky, by the way, 22, tied with Tennessee for fourth most. But that includes a, uh, oh, that includes a vacated Final Four appearance because, of course, they did make it. So that doesn't really count. Who made who made it and was vacated? Western Kentucky. When did Western? Oh, okay. I guess it's yeah, a long time, right ago, long time ago, right? Yeah. 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 More recently, they made. Um, I think they made the Sweet Sixteen. I think. I think you're correct. Um, in two in two thousand eight, I want to say two thousand nine. Um, I know they. I know that Western Kentucky beat Drake on a last second three three pointer by um, the guy. He's been in the NBA forever. He played for Orlando Magic. Um, what am I thinking of 2012 Orlando Magic? The, um, he was he's a guard. He went to Western Kentucky, and he's not on the 2012 Orlando Magic. But anyway, so uh, I think they lost that year to um. It was 2008 that uh, they made the to UCLA. Team, though, yeah, yeah, they lost to UCLA that year. Um, and I'm looking. At, he's I think he's he, he was even in the NBA recently. I should just look up Western Kentucky. Is it Courtney Lee? 
Yeah, yeah, Courtney okay. Lee. So Courtney Lee hit that game-winning shot uh, on a really well-executed last-second play to beat uh, Keno Davis and Drake um, in the first round of the tournament. And I think that they won their second-round game and then played UCLA, I think, in the Sweet 16. Um, but anyway, it's enough about Western Kentucky. Now they have uh, uh, Rick Stansberry, who... Well, have no uh, one. That's the point. There are no coaches. That's the whole point. No coaches. No players. Yeah, that's true. No, co- no coaches, no players. Yeah. No Terrence... Uh, no Courtney Lee, no Rick Stansberry. Who would you want to have as your program? And so what we did, we each ranked 50 teams. That's yeah. a lot. So we're going to go pretty quickly with some, yeah. some of these teams. And we aggregated our, our picks. Um, and we, we'll go through and just kind of with some cor- short notes on some of the early ones. But um, and noted what's notable and what's not notable in terms of like why they're rated so high or so low. Um, we'll start with others receiving yes. votes. So there were four schools that received votes. That didn't make our top fifty, including LSU. No, no, well, who oh, it didn't make our top fifty. Yes, we both picked LSU didn't make to be the our top aggregate 50, top fifty. Yeah, yeah, we picked LSU fiftieth. Both, yeah, both of us did, um, but they are fifty fourth if you combine the polls together. Be some obviously teams are higher. Um, fifty three uh, is a team that I had forty ninth and you had forty eighth. Um, that's Pittsburgh, um, and then fifty two Texas A and M recently made the Sweet Sixteen. And then 51 is Arizona State, a team that I had 49th. Oh, you had 49th. I had 47th. You had A&M 46th. I had not had them top my top 50. Those four were considered, and we voted, actually. Both of us voted for three of them, but it didn't make the top 50. Do you have any thoughts on Arizona State, Texas A&M, Pittsburgh, and LSU? Yeah, it's amazing how far Pittsburgh has fallen, because if we did this exercise five years ago or 10 years ago, they would definitely be in the top 30, probably. So that's a bad sign for them. Yeah, LSU is a tough one for me because they haven't they haven't really been very good when they haven't been cheating like in a long. Like, oh, you really the last history, year like, they were they were fine, clean as a whistle. <laughs> yeah, I mean Dale Brown was known for his yeah. own version of the strong ass offer, um, and so I considered a, the team actually that's 49th bumping LSU out for this team, but you had them uh, decently high in yours, so we got them into the rankings instead. Uh, so you had them. You had them quite high. Yeah, I'm, I'm, where did I have them? Wait, did I, oh, I'm at 43rd. Or 40, 42nd. 42nd. Yeah, 42nd. yeah. Anyway, so let's start with number 50, uh, a team that has won more national titles than any other team in college basketball uh, the last 20 years. Uh, our favorite uh, New England former power, the Connecticut Huskies. Yeah. Um, are you happy that they made the list, or are you? Are, is it better that they made the list at, at, at fifty, or would it be better if they didn't make the list at all? Oh, it's fine. I think it's better they made the list at fifty. I had them a lot higher until I started thinking about like this program is going nowhere, and like Calhoun. It's really a credit to Jim Calhoun how fast this program's fallen apart, basically, or fallen in stature. So, and I think that might be just a one. It just might be like a, one of those programs where you have the coach and he, he goes away and it's really hard to replicate that. And it's not – Stores Connecticut is not that appealing a place to recruit players to. So it's going to be quite a challenge. So, Yeah, so I had them 45. You didn't have them ranked in the top 50. Uh, right? Correct. I dropped them out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I wonder um, what the narrative would be if Jim Calhoun had left UConn much earlier. Like say – or the reverse. If, if John Calipari stayed at UMass for another like 25 years and they won the national titles – and then John Calipari left. Would UMass have this kind of UConn aura, and would they be able to sustain it? Um, and should we expect a team like UConn to sustain it um, after now two coaches removed from from Jim Calhoun? 
49 is Houston, the team I was mentioning before. I thought about putting them in. I'm kind of glad they made it. You had them at, at your 43, 42 in your rankings. Um, I will do the next three as well. We can talk about them as a group. Two Utah schools. We have BYU 48 and Utah 46. Um, we both had Utah in the 44 to 47 range. Um, I had BYU 43rd, and you had them 49th, and then Butler I did not rank Butler. You had Butler 40th. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on those four? Utah, Butler, BYU, Houston. Uh, <laughs> uh, Butler gets the Indiana bump for me. I feel like they get some good uh, – it's just the, the the attention in that state is very good, and there's they get a lot of good local recruiting opportunities. Uh, Houston's proven they can win in different eras, but the program is a huge school in a big state. Same idea. And then BYU and Utah, you just look up no matter what. Utah has quite a bit of history. And BYU also is, as we said, always in the tournament. So it's really not the worst place to uh, uh, to work. So, yeah. Yeah, Utah's a pretty good basketball state. So, yeah, uh, yeah I guess I agree with that. The, um, the next five, 45 through 41, are aforementioned Missouri, 45, West Virginia at 44, um, Alabama at 43, Florida State at 42, and Kansas State at 41. So uh, th- a couple of Big 12 schools, a former Big 12 school, uh, as well as Florida State and Alabama. Um, I had, I think you had K-State higher than me. You had them 36, I had them 43. Yeah. West, West Virginia. I did not um, have, amazingly. I get, oh, I had them yeah. 38, you didn't yeah. have them. Um, they've had a pretty good run. Even before John Beeline, Gail Catlett had some good teams there. I mean, if it was Gail Catlett alone, this probably would be a top 50 program, but they've been top 50 for a while. Um, Alabama is one of those football schools that has kind of always underachieved in basketball. Item 33, and you did not have Correct. them at all? Uh, yeah. And then uh, Florida State, I also was, had them much higher than you. I had them uh, 34, and you 45th. had them 45. Yeah. Um, and K- so yeah, you have your big rival, K State, there. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a weird mix because K State's more of a basketball school than a football school, and it gets on here. And then the others are all kind of football first uh, programs. Although I guess Missouri might be the exception to that. Oh uh, yeah, Missouri, another. Um, they're just struggling right now so much, and I think they've they've been hurt a lot by leaving the Big Twelve, uh, going to the SEC. Uh, I think they've been pressured almost more to put more attention on football than basketball than they had in the past by joining the SEC, and it hasn't really worked out for them. And then Kansas State and Florida State are both very solid. They're, they're these solid teams that can always be dangerous in a conference. And they're not, like, obviously a top-level. If you're a top-level Big 12 recruit, you're not going to go to Kansas State first. But they're there, and they're really good schools, and they have good history with different coaches. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we're in the top 40. So when we start the top 40 appropriately with two cheating cheater schools – uh, number 40, Oklahoma State, and number 39, USC, both implicated in the FBI investigation. Number 30, and then we have a couple of uh, kind of basketball-first yeah. schools. Number 38, Creighton. Number 37, Dayton. And number 36, Iowa State. Um, I think Dayton stands out for me. Really here. big we arena. Have them. And they get a lot of attention. They get the first four every year. It's a really big arena. And, I don't know, they got a – yeah, I think they'd be a good – they're always talked about as which they're always talked about as which team would be added to the conference. Oh, Dayton's a great team to add to the conference. I feel like you get a lot of resources, you can get a lot of attention. There's really not much going on in that area of Ohio, uh, that small area of Ohio. Period. Um, so yeah, I think that's why I picked Dayton there. I know you didn't rank Dayton at all. Did you even put him in your others receiving votes? No. Oh, you did. Yes. 
Um, I I had them in my, like a yeah. list of of teams that I considered along with like Butler, who you, whom you had, and you know VCU, Providence, Seton Hall, Texas Tech. Um, yeah, I guess I don't like I had Creighton high, much higher than you. I didn't have Dayton ranked obviously at all, and I and Creighton ended up one spot behind Dayton when we aggregated it. Like Creighton also has. Uh, a huge arena and it is in a spot where they're like the only game right. in town. Um, obviously there's more talent in Ohio. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting like um, that you have Dayton as like a top 25 overall program in the country. And if that's the case, then surely they sh- the biggie should add them. I just am not quite as convinced. Um, Oklahoma state th- 40 USC 39 Iowa state 36. I, when I first went through it, I didn't ha- even have USC. And then I was like, wait a second, USC should be on here. So I ended up, putting them on and putting them pretty high at 28. Um, you had them Did not have them. lower. Yep. Oh, you didn't yeah. have them. Oh, so similarly, you didn't I, – you at first didn't put them on. Maybe I didn't check my work I, as thoroughly as you did. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oklahoma State, just like a solid yeah. program, generally speaking. They haven't had deep um, – well, they had a couple of deep runs, but more in the early 2000s. Um, been kind of mediocre in the Big 12 for a while. And then Iowa State has punched above its weight. They have a really good home court advantage. And they have had – it, Iowa State to me reminds me of kind of like a Big East program where like basketball is really important and they put a lot of emphasis on it. And because of that, I think almost just like the sheer force of will, they end up really valuing it and having pretty good teams. Yeah, I had them 37th. Where did you have Iowa State? 35th, yeah. so pretty close. Okay, top 35. Um, num- number 35, you had a team that I cut late from mine. That's Wichita State. That You must have had them really high, huh? Uh, you had Wichita State. Where did I put them? Oh, 22. Yeah, yeah. 21. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Wichita State, uh, 34, Arkansas, 33, Iowa, 32, Tennessee, and 31, Georgetown. Um Tell me, tell me why you like Wichita State so well, I think they've been a thorn. They, they, they knocked Kansas out of the tournament. I have a good opinion of them. I feel like Greg Marshall's done enough to just get them on the map that if, even if he weren't there, um, they'd be able to get some players. It's kind of a niche um, market out there, and I think they're really good. In the, like the, they're in a good spot in the American where they're always challenging for the – they should always be challenging for the title. Um, and when you're always going to be like one of the best teams in a conference, it's pretty good. So – I mean, we'll see when we get to Gonzaga, uh, what they have going there. I think that Wichita State has a – obviously, they've made a Final Four. Um, it's kind of like a poor man's Gonzaga where it's like a program where you wouldn't expect it to be that good, but it is. And like we, everyone, everyone would expect Gonzaga to continue to be good if um, Mark Few weren't there. So I think we can expect the same to a lesser extent of Wichita State. Yeah, it's interesting. I had Wichita State definitely on my list, and I moved them down. when I think I put teams like LSU and Arizona State and USC on there, and they ended up dropping out along with Baylor. Um, and I think Miami was one of the last teams. And Texas Tech, I think, was one of the last teams to drop out as well. Um, yeah, it's... Hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking about Wichita State versus Connecticut. Like, So you didn't have Connecticut ranked here. Wichita State ranked really high. I didn't have Wichita State ranked, and I kind of get you know much lower. But um, I, I guess there's, there's a case to be made to say why is there a reason that Connecticut should be better than Wichita State for the next twenty years? You know, and I, I, I that's fair. I'm not sure I put them this high, but I think um, you could definitely make the case that Wichita State is should be higher than Connecticut, which they are in our aggregate. They are not in my ranking, and they are. Yeah, I might have overranked so them slightly. Year. I just think that 
Yeah, I mean, Connecticut, like, what reason do we have to think that Connecticut's going to get to be, like, a power in the Northeast or a power in the country? Like, besides the fact that they were really good under Jim Calhoun and then Kevin Ollie won a title with some of Jim Calhoun's players. Like, we just, that's my mm-hmm. thinking. Well, on to the top 30. So, uh, well, I just think it's interesting, Georgetown 31, and I have Georgetown, uh, Memphis, like, kind of tied a lot in my thoughts. And I had Georgetown 41st and Memphis 39th. Uh, you had them both higher. You had Georgetown 28th and Memphis 30th. And Memphis sneaks by Georgetown just by the aggregate ranking um, uh, to number 30. You, Illinois 29. Virginia, our national defending national champion, 28. Notre Dame 27. Cincinnati 26. Um, yeah, that's an interesting group of teams. I, I think... I see. For instance, I had Illinois twenty-five, um, Notre Dame twenty-seven, um, and then I had Georgetown forty-one, Cincinnati forty, and Memphis thirty-nine. You had Georgetown twenty-eight, Memphis thirty, Notre Dame thirty-three, Virginia thirty-five, and Illinois forty-fourth. Illinois forty-fourth. So yeah, I guess we most disagreed on Illinois of all the teams. Maybe um, I'm a lot higher on them mainly because of the, it's a really good basketball state. They have had success under multiple coaches in the past, but they haven't had much success in the last um, 10 years, really, since um, kind of midway through the Bruce Weber tenure. Um, we're kind of, I think you're a little, it seems like you're a bit higher on both Memphis and Georgetown than I am, but we have them kind of in the same area. The other ones are less interesting. Tell me what you think about Illinois. I just think Illinois is just, they're definitely in the second tier of the Big Ten. That's a major problem, whereas like Georgetown can... I think get back into it's the top of the, the Big East and Memphis is aiming its conference. I think that like what we're seeing with Penny Hardaway is how Memphis was a wasteland, and a new coach comes in, like a short-term wasteland because obviously he made the championship game in 2008. But a new coach with no experience comes in and immediately has them like really t- the talk of the town, like the talk of the country really in this offseason, and a, like a very promising future. So if he can do that. Like it's it's a credit to Hardaway, but it's also a credit to the the ability of the program. I feel like the same thing with Georgetown. Like Georgetown is a program that whenever they're bad, you feel like they're underachieving. And maybe mm-hmm. that's maybe that should drag them down because maybe coaches aren't underachieving, but maybe Georgetown should really be good every year, no matter who's coaching. And I think that they have the potential to do that given their history and their location. And uh, the D.C. area is great and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I wonder about their advantage moving forward. Certainly that area is a very fertile basketball area. They're in a, uh, a good conference, but one that has its kind of um, reputational issues now that you know some of the big schools like Syracuse and, and Louisville um, and Notre Dame are no longer in the league. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely hope for Georgetown to do well, and I think it's good for a Big East team to be here in the top 31, I guess, in this case, and, and you had them in your top 30 at 27. Um, yeah, Memphis is, to me feels like one of they feel more like a big east school in the sense that they it's like a, a an urban place where the basketball team matters a lot and the football team doesn't really matter it doesn't exist um in memphis obviously has a football team it's actually best year pretty decent of late but the basketball team is the thing and the fans are passionate and it kind of it feels and memphis feels more like a a providence or a xavier than it does like um, a lot of other schools say in the conference USA or football schools in the, in the power five. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah. That said, Providence is not on the list <laughs> at all. 
and Xavier's uh, Xavier's yeah. higher. Um, so top twenty-five, a magical number in in college basketball rankings, um, and. Uh, so number 25 is North Carolina State. Number 24 is Washington. Number 23 is Oklahoma. Number 22 is Xavier. Number 21 is Maryland. Um, so give me, give me your, your initial thoughts. Uh, there's, yeah, NC State obviously has a history. They get the they benefit a lot from the rising tide of North Carolina and Duke playing in that same conference, playing all those rivalry games. Those are huge, um, just huge opportunities for North Carolina State to kind of make uh, make some hay. And then um, and then also in that group we have Washington, really just an opportunity loss. They've been really they've you know gotten really good players in the past. Uh, even if they had it on the right coaching situation, Oklahoma's proven that they can win and uh, and get big time talent into Oklahoma. Uh, they're a football school too, obviously, but they have really held their own in the Big 12. And then you get to someone like Maryland, who I think would be would have been higher maybe 20 years ago, but just really the the switch of the conferences has kind of hurt them. And they have some, uh, yeah, they're I don't know, they're just a little struggling to get a toehold right now. It feels like, but they're still you know it's a really good job and they get really good players. So yeah. Yeah, I think we probably our biggest difference in this group is um, probably Maryland. I had them 18th. You had them 26th. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I th- it's a tough one because Maryland, you know, had that run under Gary Williams, and really since Gary Williams has left, they've been kind of eh. They probably haven't. They almost certainly have not been a top 20 program, which is what I had them at 18. Um, and so the question is, going forward, are they closer to that top 20 program or are they more just like a top 30 program? And you put them more closer to top 30 program, I put them closer to top 20 program and, and kind of net it out at 21st. Um, Xavier's interesting because, I, I, you know, obviously they were not that long ago in the in the great Midwest Conference and the Atlantic 10. Um, and now they're considered really clearly a top half Big East team year in, year out. Um, like a down year for them is like last year winning a couple of games or winning a game in the uh, NIT. Um, they haven't broke through the final four. They obviously had a one seed and a two seed and lost um, in both situations in the second round of, uh, recently. One was that Bronson Caney uh, miraculous three in the corner for Wisconsin. And then they um, we were leading by a, a decent amount with maybe eight or nine minutes left against uh, Florida State, and Florida State just kind of ripped through them with their athleticism. But, um, and then they lost uh, Chris Mack to Louisville. But Travis Steele should have them back in the top half of the Big East again. And they've had a long run, whether it's Thad Mata, Pete Gillen, Sean Miller, um, and then the aforementioned uh, Chris Mack and Travis Steele. Um, the ability to attract consistently good coaches, even if those coaches often leave for bigger programs, is something that is – why you know you have Butler on here? I don't, but Butler, Xavier, um, even Creighton. With when you think about Dana Altman uh, previously being there, uh, and in theory, you know Providence has had kind of a mixed result there. But for a long time, they became they were relevant because they could get Rick Pitino and then Rick Barnes and then Pete Gillen, um, and that's the key for these schools. It's like there's a passionate fan base. They have good arenas. They don't have football money. They need to use that kind of culture to continue to bring in and mold top coaches at a lot of times on right. their way up. 
Uh, I, I think Cincinnati is an underrated basketball market. I think people really care about Cincinnati and Xavier. And so there, by the way, it's a 12 point lead. They blew to Florida State with like 10 minutes to go in that game. That was not a good loss. Yeah. 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 That was a bummer. Bummer for the Big East and definitely bummer for Xavier. Uh, now we're into the top 20. Um, and starts with a team you didn't actually have in your top 30. So that's interesting. Uh, 20, Oregon. 19, Syracuse. 18, Arizona. 17, Wisconsin. 16, Texas. When I look, our biggest differences are I have Texas 8, and you had them uh, 25, yeah. um, and you had Oregon 31, and I had Oregon 11. So maybe I should spend some time defending why I have yes, Texas and Oregon so high. Especially Texas. Um, well, you know, I thought of it, try to think of it objectively, like literally if all the jobs were open, like on the one hand, it shouldn't just be about who would get the top jobs and it's just all about money but like what are the most attractive programs and i do think that texas when their jobs come open they can attract really really good candidates um and so that's part of it to me it's like okay texas could attract like some of the best coaches in college basketball if they're available um and they have a lot of money resources and they've had success i mean under rick barnes texas was very successful for a very long time um, you might, some might even say for at least five or 10 years of that stretch to a top 10 or so level. And I have them here at number eight. Um, and then with Oregon at number 11, you know, I think the Nike money's big. They have had a lot of success in the NCAA tournament at least. Um, and they are in a position, obviously there's not a huge amount of talent, although, you know, we talk, look at like Kevin Love a lot of, and I didn't go to Oregon of course, but, um, and uh, what's his name? Kyle Singler, also from Oregon. There is talent up there, and there's certainly talent in Seattle. We discussed Washington just a bit ago, um, who I, whom I had at 21 and you had at 30. Um, but yeah, I'd say that Oregon is in this position with the Nike money and with their recent success in college basketball the last, say, 20 years, I guess, and say Luke Ridenauer, um to be a, team, a school that um, yeah, she is a top 10 or 15 program. I, it's, I guess it's a little high. Certainly, the schools you have above them that I have below them are have been are better basketball schools. Some that we haven't even talked about yet, but some are like uh, that we just mentioned, like Wisconsin, for instance, has been much better. Um, Arizona has been much better, um, et cetera. So, yeah, that's my pitch for Texas. Yeah, Texas to me, like yes, I think uh, they could get a good coach. I just think that the program. I think we've reached a point with Texas where, and it may be only Texas, but where the attention paid to the football team hurts the basketball team. Because Shaka Smart is really skated free. I know they uh, they played well. They win the NIT this year, Texas. Yeah, so they won yep. the NIT. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Like, this team should be in the NCAA tournament. Like, and they haven't made it in a long time. What, four or five years, right? And Or once. They haven't won a game in four or five years in the NCAA tournament. And so that's what I meant to say. And so it's just do better and they don't care and like most programs like this at a high profile school the coach would be fired i would say and they haven't fired him and it's probably because no one cares as much as they should in my opinion i'm not saying he's a bad coach i'm just saying let me let me just say i don't think he should be fired necessarily but i'm saying is at other high profile schools like texas could a new hire with shaka smart with no real track record at the school get away with a stretch like this and the answer is he probably wouldn't and i'm not sure that reflects on like the, I, I'm not sure that reflects well on the program's, you know, impetus moving forward. That's all. Um, maybe that's not fair. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
that that was uh, that was pretty pretty strong take there. I think that's uh, uh, you know Luke Luke Yaklich is now going to be there as his defensive coordinator of sorts, and uh, Texas should be quite good this year. You one would yeah. think. Um, but they haven't. They've won what? No NCAA tournament games. He's been there. Uh, let's take a look at this thing. Yeah. By the way, they were very good on defense last year. That's not where they needed help. They were twelfth in defensive efficiency last season. Uh, let's look at Shaka Smart. He up uh, oh, to login again. Yep, I do like. Uh, he's been there four years. Time. They didn't win one this year, last year, 2017. They did not make the NCAA tournament. Did not make the NIT. So I'm assuming 2016 they also were bad. Had to log in again. Okay. Yeah, 2016 they were a six and lost seed. to Northern Iowa. Had to log in again. Yeah. <laughs> By three. That was on the on the oh, bank shot, right, yeah. half court shot. Tough, yeah, tough way to go out. Yeah. Tough way to go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, a lot of good players that haven't they yeah. they don't really shoot very well. Like if you look at the, the history, their effective field goal percentage offense is um, 166, 203, 241, 197 under Shaka Smart. Um, not a good shooting program, even in the last years under Rick Barnes. But uh, yeah, that's the uh, that's the Texas debate. So they ended up kind of netting out 16 for us. We have the top 15 left. Um, the next f- five have uh, are. Well, let's just go with it. With it. For 15, Purdue, 14, Marquette, 13, Gonzaga, 12, Florida, 11, UCLA. Um, it looks like we had most of them pretty close. You had uh, you had Gonzaga 12, I had Gonzaga 16. You had Marquette 13, I had Marquette 17. You had UCLA 12, I had UCLA 13. You had Florida 18, I had Florida 10. And Purdue, I, I, you had him 16, I had him 15. So really the biggest gap, again, is me going with another football school a bit higher in Florida. Um, this is a basket, it's a football school that seems to care about basketball a bit more. Yeah. Um, they've made good hires in general. They've had, obviously, they've won national titles. And made, they made a Final Four later. And they also made a 316 recently since Billy Donovan has left. Uh, good talent down there. But, um, yeah, I had him, I guess, 10th. So... You know, clearly there are schools behind them, notably Michigan and Villanova, uh, that we haven't mentioned yet, that have very much stronger basketball. Well, I, I wouldn't say pedigrees because you know Florida would do international titles, but at least more recent success. On yeah, I think we pretty much agree on all these. Uh, Gonzaga, we agree, is safe even if they lose. Mark Few, Marquette, really benefits from that arena and playing in uh, Wisconsin and a big market uh, for college basketball. UCLA. 20 years ago would not be this far down, but here they are because they can't seem to get things together. The, the fan base, the people carrying there may be a problem. And yeah, that's, I mean, Purdue is sneaky, like very solid, always has been solid. Great history, great conference, and never like going to be in the elite elite tier in the Big Ten, but they're there and they're very consistent. I think this is a good ranking for them. Yeah, uh, on Marquette, um, along with having a new pro arena, they have like one of the largest basketball budgets in the country. Um, they really have committed to spending to make sure their program is as good as it can be. Uh, and certainly, the, you know, similar to Shaka Smart, actually, there should, you think there'd be as much or if not more pressure on uh, Steve Wojciechowski and Marquette this year if, he, if they don't both go to the tournament and win a game or two. Um, and that's going to be hard to do with losing the Hauser brothers. So I, I don't expect that Marquette fans would be I think the the fan base and the program I've learned the most about since they joined the Big East of all of the ones that have joined the last like 20 years is Marquette. Those fans are passionate. They are used to winning. They break it down. They follow it very closely. And I can't imagine that they're 
they're going to let Steve Wojciechowski off the hook if they don't have a, a successful March this year. Um, after they had a successful first few months yeah. of the season before falling off late in the year. So now it's our top 10. Uh, the 10 programs that we think are in the best shape going forward, even if you removed all coaches and all players. So um, number 10, Villanova. Number 9, Michigan. Number 8, Michigan State. Number 7, Ohio State. And number 6, Indiana. So four straight Big Ten schools um, after Villanova. Uh, the biggest, let's see. You had Villanova 10. I had them 14. Uh, Michigan, you had them 9. I had them 12. Michigan State, you had them seven. I had them nine. Ohio State, you had them eight. I had them six. And Indiana, you had them five, and I had them yeah. seven. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, I, I guess I, I am a little concerned about Villanova if if uh, Jay Wright left. I don't think they would be terrible. I think they'd be top 50. But if Jay Wright left, um, you know, we've seen Steve Lapis there, and he had some very good teams, and it kind of went south for him. Like, and this is why it's like my hedge is uh, putting them 14th. It's like, well, they have a lot of success. They have a new on-campus arena. They've won two national titles in the last four years. And prior to that, they had success too consistently. But they were always – they used to be the team that always punched up in the Big East, especially in the 80s. You had Georgetown, St. John's, Syracuse, and it was Villanova there kind of punching above their weight. And now they are the heavy in the Big East. Um, and the question is how much of that is Jay Wright? And I think my hedge was putting them 14th. Yeah. In a way, you could say my putting them uh, 10th is an insult to Jay, right? That I don't think that he is as responsible or like that he, I th- but I, I, or that they would miss, wouldn't miss him. But I do think they would miss him, but I think it's a credit to him because they built this program that is now like clearly the top team in the Big East. And, you know, they're, they've risen to the top of the Big Five. They've really made that pretty clear. And they have two national titles in four years. And so, like, if you're starting from right now, like what program's going to be in a great spot? The one that's dominated the tournament two of the last four years is going to be on the top of the list. So um, that's that's why I put them there. Yeah. And then Indiana six is obviously underachieved yeah. a bit um, in the last ten or fifteen years. Uh, basically, ever since Bob Knight uh, left, they've they've kind of tantalized a few years and then overachieved run to the championship game and then. Yeah, and we flip. You and I flipped Ohio State and Michigan State. You think that Ohio State is a better program than Michigan State? I think the other way around. So, but not by much. Yeah, I I think that that is more like I have a trouble with the programs that have had the same coach for a very long time. Um, you know, Michigan State prior to um, Tom Izzo, they had a good program. They won that title in the late seventies, obviously with Magic Johnson. In the nineteen eighties, they they were fine, but weren't really a factor. Early 1990s, they had Sean Respert um, and were decent. Um, and then, but it wasn't until Tom Izzo took over, and then in the late 90s, they became a power. Um, and we had them eighth. They no one would have put Michigan State as like the eighth best program in the country 25 right. years ago. And the question is, the last 25 years, he must have been coached by Tom Izzo. So, you know, what what does sustaining that look like? We've seen at Wisconsin what sustaining looks like. It's it's like it can be hard. Um, you know, what's going to happen at Virginia when Tony Bennett leaves? What's going to happen even at, at, we haven't gotten to Duke yet, but, you know, Duke after Coach K leaves. Like, h- how many of these will be sustainable? Because, I mean, they've had success. Duke went to the national title game in 1978. It's like, it's not right. just Coach K. And Michigan State won a title before Tom Izzo was, like, out of high school, probably. Um, and, 
And so I think that that's part of it. Ohio State has not as much success in, just overall as a basketball program in the last 25 or 30 years as Michigan State. Um, it seems like they have been able to go come find them through a few different coaches. They've come out of the Thad Mata era with Chris Holtman, and it seems like they can kind of use like just the massive amount of attention that Ohio State gets in all sports in that area. Um, and the really high level of talent there is in that part of the country as well. So that that was my case. I could definitely see it the other way, but um, but I went with Ohio That's State. fair. I just think Michigan State's been better recently, so they're more likely to be better, even if you did take away uh, Tom Izzo. But it's tricky because, yeah, it's like the sport is so different than it was when he took over. Um, I don't know. I just feel like the name brand would last for, you know, they'd probably get like a five-year glow where people would still want to play there, even if they were, weren't as good. And then after that, like Connecticut, like Connecticut got a glow for a while now. I think it's suffering. Mm-hmm. So that's my take. But yeah, and Indiana, disappointing because I feel like they should be higher, but they're at six. So good for them. Yeah, Indiana at six is like, I think that's pretty high. I think there is some risk there. It's an older arena. Um, they haven't had done it recently, but a yeah. whole lot of yeah. success. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they had uh, Tom Crean took over from Kelvin Sampson at the uh, after Sampson had the problems with recruiting and left him at, at the bottom of the of the Big Ten, um, and then Tom Crean took him back up to the top. But then they didn't kind of capitalize on the NCAA tournament, and then Tom Crean left despite having you know a decent amount of success. They were definitely a top twenty program under Tom Crean, and now Archie Miller is in there, and they haven't really. Uh, put things together yet, um, despite having success in the recruiting trail. But one thing is Michigan at nine, I think, shows what we think of their potential versus what they had to do and kind of just finding a coach in the last minute. Um, you know, no one would say that Juwan Howard, if you were ranking coaches that you want in your program, is a top nine right. coach in college basketball. Um, and so one would think that if they had like a full cycle to choose a coach, they would have gotten someone better, which is, I think, makes the next three or four or five years pretty risky for for Michigan. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, top top five. Let's go one by one. Uh, number five is Louisville. Uh, I had them four. You had them seven. Six. Uh, six. Sorry, I had them four. You had them six. So all five of our top five teams are in each of our top sixes. You had Indiana five. Our ultimate top five were my top five, just in a different order. Um, so I had so you had so we had Louisville five, um, and then the team that I had below Louisville that you had above them is Duke. So we they end up being ranked fourth. What is the case? I mean, I guess the case is fairly obvious, but why why Duke over? Louisville? I know Louisville is the new like the the pro arena, the Yum Center. If that's what it's still called, and they get a lot of revenue from that. And they have a bunch of you know they have Kentucky's Mad Basketball Mad. I just think Duke is the clearly getting the best players every year. And even if Coach K weren't there, which of course is the point of the I still feel people like would want to go to Duke because it's there. We saw how much money it basically generated or value created for Zion Williamson by playing at Duke. If he had played at Louisville, it wouldn't have quite been the same thing, I feel like. And that's what players are going to want. And the ultimate thing is if you know if we started over and just had, wanted to get players, I think players are going to gravitate toward Duke more than um, Louisville, regardless of the coaches. So that's why I put Duke there. They have a better history. Um, Louisville, obviously, plenty of history, but Duke has a better one, and I just feel like that's a place that's going to get slightly better players. They're going to get the best players, and that's why I ranked them higher. Yeah, I think that the best case for Louisville probably is the passion of the fan base there. I think that the Duke is like a national fan base, and I do wonder what that means 
what it means in North Carolina and whether that has any impact at all. But maybe, I mean, obviously it hasn't had any impact under Coach K, and the question is whether that changes when he leaves. Um, the next one is the contentious one. Um, we're going to call it tied for second um, between North Carolina and Kansas. I had North Carolina second, you had Kansas second, and I had North Carolina, Kansas third, and you had North Carolina third. So why Kansas over North Carolina? Because I don't like Roy Williams? No. <laughs> no, he wouldn't be there. Uh, no, honestly, this is like a 50-50 case, and I think, honestly, if I were a neutral observer, I might say uh, North Carolina is better just because they have, like, the built-in rivalry with Duke. They have the higher, sorry, like the sexier league, I would say, um, Kansas, and they have probably slightly better history, and Kansas has great history and great recruiting powers and great incentives for players and coaches, but at the same time, uh, North Carolina probably is the better spot, but I just put Kansas because I couldn't, I couldn't put North Carolina ahead of Kansas. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think North Carolina. I, I like them because they have the Jordan factor, which is going to be a, 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 in their favor for a long time, as opposed to what Danny Manning factor at Kansas. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, North Carolina is a better state for basketball, sure. I think, in terms of college or uh, high school recruits. Uh, yeah, that's a. I think it's an interesting one, and North Carolina didn't didn't, didn't get into the uh, Champions Classic, so <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's bad, huh. too bad for them. Um, also, I guess maybe we've made the case that Villanova should replace Michigan yes. State in the Champions Classic. I guess this the case here is maybe not that Michigan State should still a little bit higher than Villanova. But it should be. I think Villanova should be in the cha- specifically in the Champions Classic. Villanova should be there over because they're, they're more they have more recent championships. That's what I'm saying, or we're saying. Okay, so you think you should just rotate out the four most? No, I think we should just have Villanova over Michigan State. Get a get a Big East team in there. Okay, um, and number one was uh, unanimous. Kentucky. I guess. The, oh, yeah, Kentucky. Western Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, we went with Kentucky. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that this is a great case for anyone else. I'm sure Kansas and North Carolina and maybe even Duke fans would make a case for one. I don't think Louisville has a good case for one in their own state, but. Um, I think the other three programs would make the case if they were forced to and try to do it. Um, You know, Kentucky, it's the most important thing by far. It's just a different sort of thing um, than, well, I don't know. Kansas Kansas has that kind of, has that aura about it too, that it matters more and that sort of thing. But great success. They seem to be able to get whatever players that they want, uh, except when you know Duke is paying Zion and all the other guys uh, as much as Kentucky is paying all their recruits. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it's a gr- They've had success on the floor. They they have a massive arena. Um, they have all the money you would want, and they will put as much money as possible behind it. And I think in a way that even outstrips Kansas. Yeah, I mean, it's just a different type of mentality from the fans i think the fans are like bordering on insane in uh kentucky and the followers of the program like they're just all over everything and i think that that's like an extra notch on that on that intensity meter or that like just who how, how much they care and that really drives this program just a little bit more and they've had more success than any of these other programs recently uh, they just have been yeah they've been amazing they've had some of the best players the best teams um they've only had the one national title uh, but there's just been so much in the news and dominating the sport for the last forever, basically, and it's just yeah. So I have no problems with Kentucky there. Carolina is a closer case than Kansas, but they're I don't know, just because they've won more titles recently. But 
it's yeah, it's hard to say Kentucky's not the best program in the country. So that's our top fifty. It was yeah. quite a journey. Uh, any any takeaways from the experience of putting this together? Um, like that you were anything you were surprised by or just uh, or anything like that? No, just it's a it was I enjoyed thinking about it and thinking about like well yeah of course they're good now but like what if you lost X Y and Z and I think that there's or the mainly the coaches and players and I think that there's some I think name brand recognition played a high role for me and it may be higher than you you thought more about like the logistics of it and like who's where the money's coming from and the different uh just the different politics of the universities but i thought more just like well they've been good they'll probably still be good kind of thing yeah you you i guess you saw you were more of a marketing guy more of like a a woodward and birdstone kind of guy um yeah i think for me like it seems like a fairly decent sized drop off after the top five honestly um, I know that you had yeah. Indiana ahead of Louisville, but you can even say the top four if you want. I think there's the biggest line after Duke. Duke. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I, you know, obviously we have these four Big Ten schools that are all really good programs, but I, it, like if, it doesn't really seem like it's at the same level as at least Kentucky, North Carolina, and Kansas. Um, and obviously Duke is there right now with Coach K. Without Coach K, we'd see, but, um, but yeah. Yeah. I also learned it's harder yeah. than you think to aggregate uh, two rankings, but I did it, so... <laughs> yeah it might be harder to do two than it is three because two you end up with a lot of ties yeah. i feel like we actually had the other thing i would say is we had a lot of teams like the fact that we had the same 50th team we had the same first team we had the same 20th team arizona and 19th team we had wisconsin and we had a lot of exactly on the mark picks and the fact that we had the 50th team um is uh is, is funny to me yeah so um, let's call it there. Um, I I met a woman on Thursday, huge Penn basketball really? fan. She's going out to the wooden the wooden classic in and Thanksgiving to watch Penn play there, and so she's really interested in the Ivy League. So we and she listened to the last nice. podcast, and so she we might have to do a little bit more Ivy League talk than we have in the past. I want to hear at some point this summer your take on all the different Ivy League gyms. Uh, oh yeah, um, which is the best Ivy League yeah. job right now though? Mm. Um, I think Harvard. Really? Well, but I, I just said off the top of my head, but I, I would say Harvard, uh, Penn, Princeton, in that order, maybe. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, I would not go Harvard first, but uh, that's just me. Oh, okay. Well, we can this maybe we do, maybe we do a, yeah, an the Ivy combined League ranking. Yeah, that would be easier podcast. to do. <laughs> Especially since everyone, um, will have a, each team will definitely be ranked. <laughs> Yep, she's from uh, the state of Nevada, uh, and she wanted to just mention that uh, she said that I think at one point you referred to it as Nevada or Nevada. So no, it's definitely they to... definitely think it's Nevada, but it's a Spanish word, so there's no ass sound in Spanish. So I know I know what the natives of the state call, but I but the linguistic <laughs> history of the word is Nevada. So I try to say Nevada. I will say, uh, big game James Holzhauer on Jeopardy was on what 32 times and. Uh, Johnny Gilbert, the introductory guy, always said Nevada, so it's not just me. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what the official Jeopardy pronunciation is, but I know it's one of those pet peeves where everyone's like, "It's definitely Nevada." I'm like, "Well, you may be wrong about how you say your own state." So, but who am I to tell Nevada? What's the name Nevada and how to say the state? So, anyway, hope she's still listening. Give us five stars on iTunes. So, well, actually, not iTunes on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Yeah. iTunes is dead, or will be dead. Yeah, at hour hour twenty yeah. in. Uh, if Stephanie uh, got that far, then you know, God slack bless. me, yeah. and uh, you'll get the no prize. But uh, you get a hearty thank yeah. you. 
Um, yeah. Oregon's the other one, the other state that we often, uh, people pronounce differently in different parts of the country. It's officially Oregon, although some of I say Oregon, which is wrong. What about Newfoundland? About that How do you well. say that? Um, I'm going to leave it at there. I'm not going to say it, actually. Um, it's too risky. I don't want to create international disturbance by by pronouncing that. that. Okay, well, re- rate, <laughs> review, tweet us at DoubleBonusPod. I thought bonus that was pod, the end. That's why I didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, really, we have more false outs than Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Uh, from Samwise, uh, from me, Samwise Gamchi, to uh, Frodo Baggins, uh, until next time, enjoy uh, your your non-college basketball. Uh, thanks uh, thanks for listening. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Chance for the lead or a tie. They go to the rim. For three, no! Loose ball in the corner. Three seconds to go. Oh my goodness! At the other end, Haluska off the rim. Northwestern wins! 